0: Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And I figured with the world on fire, we needed to give you guys a break. So we're not going to talk about any coronavirus news of any kind. Instead, I invited on the happiest car guy I could think of, (laughs) Rutledge Wood. Absolutely. And
1: it's an awesome interview. It's, it's really, really cool fun. From I, had,
0: I had a lot of fun talking to him. He's got some great stories. Super good talker. Um, I also want to talk about a few project updates, some stuff going on with the 190E and my Porsche and your your dad's truck and your 911. That's right. But before we get there, what have you got for us?
1: Yeah, let's talk about our sponsor, Omaze. Omaze is a fundraising platform that offers once-in-a-lifetime experiences, including dreamworthy cars. So far, they've raised over $130 million for charities around the world. And right now, Chris, Omaze is giving away a brand new Porsche Taycan Turbo. And as I mentioned on a previous episode, I had the opportunity to ride in a Taycan Turbo and they are amazing. And if that wasn't enough, Omaze is even throwing in 20 grand cash that you can spend any way you like since you obviously won't need to buy gas for this thing. So they'll even fly you out to LA to receive the keys from factory's Porsche driver, Patrick Dempsey himself. Wow. So that's quite the prize package. The best part is that every donation supports a good cause, and in this case, you'll be helping cancer patients through the Dempsey Center. They're committed to making life better for people managing the impact of cancer, caregivers, and family members of all ages. So head over to omaze.com overcrest to check it out, and with a donation of $10, you're entered to win. That's omaze.com overcrest, and be sure to use the code overcrest for 50 to get five or I'm sorry, 50 bonus entries.
0: Uh, I think it's a good time to make sure that you're doing what you can when you can, especially for charity to help people. Everybody needs a little bit of help right now. So yeah, make sure you head on over there and get involved and uh, help out the Patrick Dempsey foundation.
1: So Chris, what has been going on With your cars? So I'm basically
0: ready on the 911 to do the Schutz, which is the Which is the the
1: German branded undercoating.
0: It's the German branded undercoating from Worth. Right. And uh, it's the correct stuff. So I've, right now, I've got, I'm almost entirely done with all of the welding. Almost. Okay. Very, very close. I had to actually cut and slice the front pan on one side because just to get it to fit, it's just, didn't fit nothing right. kind of fits yeah um so i had to slice that open peel it apart a little bit this is outside the structural element so we're on we're talking over by the inner fender on sure. the on okay. the bottom yeah. so, so
1: i had a, it was about a half an inch off Oh, wow. So I had to just... And it, these are all reproduction stamped steel panels that, right. for whatever reason, just are slightly off. Well, my car is slightly off. And between that and yeah, also...
0: And, yeah. So it's it's been a little bit of a journey on that section of the car, but everything else is spot-welded together or rosette-welded together, I sure. guess is what you would call it, or plug welding, some people yep. call it. Um, the pan is in, the latch panel is done, the hood opens and closes. By the way, I did get stuck with the hood. Oh, because I couldn't know. open the hood. That's but the worst. It was the worst. Um, but yeah, I basically I've got etching, uh, self etching primer on most of the stuff right now. So I'm just waiting for some seam sealer and shuts from uh, and then it'll from be Worth buttoned up. And then I'm going to get all that stuff done. And then it's I don't know. I don't know if I should put the fenders on the car and send it to a body shop and say, hey, you know, I know that these are in the right spot. Let's get the doors oh lined. Sure. Let's get the fenders painted. the The underside of the fenders have to get shutzed too. Okay. Yep. Otherwise, you know, if you drive on a gravel road, it's going to look like Popcorn exploded underneath. There's to be all these <laughs> little dimples and a situation going on. And uh, the 190E, I got the wheels in the mail, and sadly they're not as quite as nice as I'd hope they were.
1: you were going for the OEM plus look on
0: this, yeah. Well, the wheels are cool, but there's some curb rash, mm. so I don't know if I should try and like sand them down and. Pay- I think I might I've done that. Yeah, I think I might just take them and say, hey, make these perfect. Sure. And I don't know what it'll be. It'll probably be six hundred, seven hundred dollars to have the wheels completely refinished. Um, they're sixteen by eights. So they'll of the same version of the wheels I have now. Sure. And then yeah. I got tires too. Got tires Kay. in the mail. Um, the springs are here. I bought a spring compressor. So Kay. have you ever seen what the springs are like in an old Mercedes? All the old Mercedes are like I've this. not. It's not a McPherson style right. coil over strut. Okay. You know, not a coil over, but a coil coil spring over the strut assembly. Sure, yeah. And then the strut is in the middle of the coil and it's all, all right. one piece. This, and uh, this is kind of like the rear of most cars where you have a spring separate from the strut. Sure. And it's like that in the front as well. But the front, the the rear kind of falls out. Not a big deal. You mm-hmm. can just take the strut out, lower the control arm, boom, spring yep. comes out. The front, the spring is about forty inches tall. That's an ex- <laughs> that's an exaggeration, but it is really really tall. Okay, and you, so you can't get when you have a. uh a standard spring compressor kind of clamps on and then you screw down both yeah, sides yep, exactly these don't fit you can't mm. clamp those down enough right to get the spring out so you have to buy this special spring compressor mm. that goes on the top and bottom of the spring okay and then you put a rod in the middle yeah and then you screw that rod down and it cinches itself why i have a stupid question why don't you just cut them out Uh, because that is a lot of tension on those springs. They are very, very compressed. They're very, I'm not kidding when I say they're, they're very big. I mean, they've got to be 30 inches when they're unsprung.
1: Yeah. Just get your angle grinder, put on some safety glasses, let her rep.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> I've done some dumb stuff with springs. I'm like, oh, where's my uh, spring compressor? Oh, I don't know where it is. Ah, uh, well, this ratchet strap will work. Oh, yeah, I've done that. Oh, just some really bad new oh, stuff. That's fine. And have you ever seen people like take a strut out and put it on a vise and then take the top nut off?
1: Yep. And then it z- z- you know, and the thing goes
0: shooting into the ceiling? Yep. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure there. I'm not sure you want to do anything like that. So Probably I bought the not. correct tools. It was 60 bucks. Um, It showed up from Amazon. And uh, we're just going to compress the springs pull them out and put the i've already Get got this the, thing slammed i've already got the bilstein struts in yep and so all i gotta do is put those on so it's wheels tires springs good to go because i can't leave anything alone i've still <laughs> got the red wagon and maybe i'll just keep the red wagon since nobody's buying any
1: cars right now yeah. i've got coilovers
0: for that sitting in the garage Maybe i'll put the coilovers on that there you go and then i'll have two lowered cars that are mine and it's just too much but Ooh, i don't care and
1: i have uh some brand new bbs chr's
0: you could put on that thing Ooh, can i just do you have tires on them what's width yeah. on those they're wide yeah they're not gonna fit they're they? wide. oh you could make them fit <laughs> no yeah. i don't think so they're like 10 inches wide aren't yeah. they yeah no that's I think not gonna nine happen. And a half. So have so if you you worked on your 911 a yeah, bit So too, you right? kind
1: of inspired me to start looking at the front end of my car How and I, it? it's not great the okay. pan had been done okay so it's not like basically disappearing from rust yeah but it wasn't done quality okay and i'm not trying to redo anything to make it perfect but i'm trying to like get it where water doesn't spray into it from the holes that are on the bottom of the car and I don't know why the guy drilled holes in the bottom of the van and everything <laughs> else so I'm just kind of doing some welding repair you get water in it there up. It? oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah so I'm cleaning that up and reinforcing where some stitch welding wasn't done bir- right were you welding in your Birkenstocks? oh heck yeah I was what's wrong with you
0: <laughs> <laughs> you had sent me that picture of welding in sandals
1: yeah they're like my garage slippers <laughs> <laughs> no no so i was doing that um how's your dad's c10 you I guys been working on that? he's doing a lot of welding repair and patch panels on that as well and then i also bought uh the lowering spindles the drop spindles for the front and also the disc brake upgrade setup are you so doing air ride on that, that i forget that's the plan okay are you gonna make your own kit kind of no are you
0: gonna it's have a, a digital kit or are you gonna just have valves with it'll the pressure gauges? valves okay yeah just nice and simple probably okay
1: i don't know maybe i'll go nuts on that too oh well that wouldn't surprise me <laughs> all right before we get uh rutledge on the horn what have you got for us yeah let's talk about petrol box petrol box is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiast. it's actually perfect for this uh, time that we're in, Chris, because they assemble garage gear and deliver it right there to your doorstep. You don't have to go anywhere. You can get detailing supplies, tools, apparel, garage gears, stickers, publications, and you'll get it right there to your doorstep every single month. There's two levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrolbox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrolbox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code overcast at checkout to get six dollars off your first month's order and i want to remind
0: everybody to hit that subscribe button yeah if you're just finding
1: us there's a lot more where
0: this came from we're coming up on 200 episodes right now and hit that subscribe button and share with your friends like i always say don't be selfish share with your friends that's right it's the right thing to do all right guys let's get on the horn with rutledge wood Yellow, Mister Rutledge Wood. How's it going, man?
2: Good. How you guys doing? Good. good. It's, uh,
0: we're we're happy that you're here. I'm here with Jake. He's our he's my co-host. Hi, Rutledge.
2: What's up, Jake? How you doing, buddy?
0: I'm good. I want to start a uh, kind of at the beginning with you. Lots of us begin in the in the garage with our dad. A lot of car guys and stuff like that. Tell us how who yours inspired you on the road that led to where you are today.
2: You know, it's funny. My dad grew up on Route 66 in New Mexico. In a little town called Morarity or Moriarty, depending on your pronunciation, and his dad had a like a little mini strip center, right? But it was all um, kind of correlated. He had um, a Napa Auto Parts, he had a John dealer, a John Deere dealership, and then on the other side of the building, he had an International Harvester dealership. So what also that meant was that they ended up selling Scouts, and they had a garage there. They had a wrecker service, and so my dad, at the age of 12 and 13, starts buying cars and flipping them from people that are coming in through town and doing different work. My dad, probably my favorite hustle he ever had was he took somebody in town, had a, uh, what we would refer to affectionately as like a church van, right? So a really long, you know, extended, and back in the day, y'all remember, they used to, I don't know how they could hang so much sheet metal past (laughs) the rear end of one of these vans. Yeah. Right, like they'd never do it now, but you'd see like what looked like an extended van, and they all kind of looked like someone had welded an extra three feet, and they even just like the way the body seam ran was weird. But like they had
0: to sacrifice another van just to build yeah. this van, just bolt it up. And the it back. was
2: like totally acceptable back in the day. They'd never do it now. So he took one of those that someone had flipped, and my dad cut the roof off um, right after the B pillar. And cut all the the window lines out, and he sold it to the only person in town who could ever benefit from something like that, and it was the pine straw guy. And <laughs> those kind of like weird automotive hustles is really where I got started. So um, my mom and my dad met in Texas. My mom's from Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I grew up. So. They ended up uh, moving back there, and and my dad was was always around cars and in cars, so he got me started. But then it's funny, we didn't really like work on them that much. He had a corporate job and and didn't really have time to get that dirty and wrench. But um, he ended up with a old Mercedes. It was an eighty or an eighty one. 240d
0: oh that's the slowest car ever built
2: ever (laughs) ever and it was the four speed which gave you this false sense of security as a kid like we must be really cooking and then when you get old enough to see above the dash you're like oh no there's people walking faster than third gear
0: (laughs) i got one of those for my wife it was mint absolutely perfect but she wouldn't drive it she said it was too dangerous to drive it. it was that slow
2: Oh, legitimately, like, you don't realize stuff like that. There's so many cars you go, oh, this would be so cool, have all these fond memories, and then you get in one, and you're like, oh, no, a Volvo wagon is too slow to put my family in, like an 81, 240, that that doesn't work, I can't do that. Yep. So, it's funny, he got me into them, and then uh, my love of them really, like, surpassed what his interest was, and I think, in retrospect, there was that old commercial where there was a kid sitting by a window, and his brother's like, hey what kind of car is that? And the kid could tell you the sound of it. And I think it was like a Chevy Camaro commercial, but I had that thing there was about a 15 year window where I knew every car on the road from the headlights, the taillights, sometimes the sound like I, it made no sense how into it I was, but that's, you can't that's do that like.
0: anymore though. I I try to do it now, and all the headlights kind of look the same. Back in the day, there was the square headlight, the spacing, or there was four of them, or the round headlights were here versus there with the marker lights. You could always pick them out. I can't do it anymore.
1: Yeah, you could pick out a Crown Vic from two miles away, which was
2: handy. Oh, it really, especially when they all started getting sold used... And then you, you would move out of the way of one because you're like, oh, no, this cop is coming. And it's just some dude in an old <laughs> yeah, detective exactly. car. And he put the looking. cow
0: catcher on the front just to screw it. People.
2: Oh, it's the, Tanner Faust and I talk about it all the time. If you need if you drive a lot or if you need like a, you know, for those of us who travel a lot, the airport, the airport is like a place with no laws or rules when it comes to cars. So people will physically assault your car at the airport for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> They get out of the car, like, with both feet in the door to make sure, like, there's no zombies around, whatever it is. <laughs> but we always said, a, you know, a Crown Vic with a brush guard is the perfect airport car. Because you can, they're curb rated at, I think, 30 miles an hour. Was that, was like, I don't know if y'all remember, that was a big thing for, like, the Panther chassis. Oh yeah, it's curb rated at thirty. Uh, what does that mean? You can hit a curb at thirty and it's totally fine. It won't hurt <laughs> it at all.
0: <laughs> I, had ta- I had a I had a Chevy Tahoe PPV, which was the police mm. pursuit vehicle. You know, it had the limited slip, the huge air conditioning so You could let it run forever in Arizona oh, and yeah. still have your air conditioning work. And that thing was the, it. Didn't have any decals or anything on it, but you could tell it had the cop wheels. It was the it was the state trooper color. People would get out of the way, man. They would God, get out of the way. Shucks. Cop cop brakes, cop brakes, <laughs> yeah. cop, breaks, cop <laughs> torsion bars, everything. How
2: did you end up with one of those? By the way,
0: I, it was just on Craigslist. Just one of those <laughs> things where you're just surfing on Craigslist. You, yeah, I got to have that one.
1: That was during the oh, boat wait. phase for Chris. Yeah, so you I needed to, something to tow with a boat. Yeah, of I've, course.
0: I I go through cars like water. It's it's really really bad. It's 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 bad.
1: <laughs>
2: That's fun. I I just do that thing where. It's kind of like flavors of beer. I don't drink beer, but my friends do. And, like, you know, they'll get really hot on this one kind, and you see them two weeks later, and they're like, oh, no, I, I drank too many of those. Now I'm having this different IPA. It's like uh, it was made in a barn. And you're like, okay, okay. I thought it was all just beer. <laughs> but, you know, some of us can can love us some cars for a month or two and go, okay, that was awesome. What's next?
0: Yeah, it's always the the thrill of the chase. I want to talk about that a little bit later, so I don't want to get too, uh, too uh, sure. off topic. Um, what was the garage like when you were a kid, the actual garage? What was, when you can picture it in your mind— what was you it know, like to funny, be there?
2: We didn't have a garage. We didn't have a physical garage until I was 13, and then it was a carport. And so it's funny that those memories of of working on stuff didn't happen until we went out to New Mexico when I was 13, my dad and I, and we flew out there to pick up what would become my very first car, and that was the first time that I understood, like, how we had to work on stuff, what we were going to wrench. We picked up my 1981 Volkswagen Rabbit pickup. Yeah,
0: man. I've owned like three of those. Those are great. Oh,
2: gosh. They're amazing. It was a diesel (laughs) four-speed, had no options. It had been baking in the New Mexico sun for, at that point, uh, 12 years. So everything was crispy. Um, My grandpa was so cheap, it had no options whatsoever. So it only had a heater. It had no vent windows. Like, you had to be such a cheapskate. No None. air
0: conditioning in the south, in the Southwest. No. None.
2: No no air conditioning and no vent windows. Like, it's as oh, no. if they were going to put the adjuster on there, and they're like, no, 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 this guy's a cheapskate. Don't do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the vent windows on the rabbits are great because you can slide them open, and if you're wearing shorts, you just kind of lift your leg up a little
2: bit. Absolutely. And it, <laughs> it's, it's,
0: it's the best air conditioning ever. It's
2: a lifesaver. And you know he didn't have the back window that opened because that was like a $40 option. So... <laughs> It was so funny. We picked up uh, also a, I think it was eight feet. It might've been 10 feet long, a little sailboat called an Alcott Puffer. And my dad and I drove that thing home from New Mexico. My my grandpa taught me how to drive on that trip out on a dirt road in, in the rabbit. And my grandpa still had the, the shop at that time. So I got to go see this amazing garage and I'm checking out all these old rusted, sort of cars but like that was the first time i understood that. like oh bearings get hot when you're on the highway because we pulled over somewhere and they're smoking and my dad's like yeah i thought i should have oiled those okay so (laughs) that was really like i think once we got into that stuff was my first kind of understanding about working on stuff and then my dad um against my mom's will traded that sailboat for a 1985 honda 80s so it was an enduro motorcycle 80cc on-road, off-road, and in Alabama... Wait, you your get mom a traded the sailboat for the no, motorcycle? No, my mom was so mad about it, oh. but my dad did it.
0: Okay, I was like, whoa, mom know, sounds cool. cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, right, she is. she just was not cool with that. So, but in Alabama, when you're 14, you can have a motorcycle as, as long as, I think it was 250. If it was under 250 cc's, you could have that. So I drove it to middle school a handful of times when my mom wasn't paying attention, and like... <laughs> How far did you have
0: to wheel that thing away from the house before he started it up?
2: <laughs> I could I could do it two or three doors down. It was quiet enough. You wouldn't hear it. And Rullage, also, I, like,
1: I also had an 80cc Honda Enduro. No. Yeah, I did. It was blue they were and hilarious. White. Oh, oh God. so fun
2: so fun. First time, like, and I don't know about you, that was the first time i ever did an accidental wheelie. And I was yeah. pretty sure at 13 or 14, I was going to be the next evil Knievel, but i never wanted to do a wheelie again. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like, Oh my God, I'm amazing. I've got so much talent, but I think I could have died there. I'm just going to not do that again. So <laughs> it was just, man, it was so much fun, but I, I learned to work on stuff with that motorcycle. Cause little things you'd put some weird gas in there you found and Oh, now I got to drain it. I got to understand how all these things work. But sure. it was just so much fun. So the, it's funny. The garage was was a bigger thing of of kind of experiencing it. And then my sister had this had a chain of wanting really crappy cars. And I remember she had a um, this was that late eighties vibe when um, Lee Iacocca was trying to turbo anything. <laughs> you mean
3: everything?
0: <laughs>
2: everything. She had a. Dodge Lancer turbo, which I didn't know a ton about how crappy the cars were, but what I saw was that it had a hood vent and it was like a four door hatchback, sort of a thing and incredible velour interior. So I thought it was awesome. She hated it. And it was just the biggest piece of crap she ever owned. But that helped me learn on, uh, on a few things too.
0: What was the first car that was truly yours? That you actually loved because I didn't really love some of the first cars I drove around with the family. But what was the one that you fi- first fell in love with?
2: It's funny. I I do think for me it was my first that eighty one Rabbit pickup. We grew up in Birmingham and we were like one street into the good neighborhood, right? So we went to the better schools and stuff like that. But we were like the Clampets there. My
3: mm-hmm. my dad
2: had that old two forty D. My mom had a Chevy Astro at some point when she was selling cars. and I was lo- selling a houses so I always love that. But we got over to Atlanta and we moved to a town called Peachtree City and it was all built on golf cart paths. So there's three (laughs) golf courses. Everyone goes everywhere on a golf cart. And we had this old easy go that had like a funny eighties style graphics package on there visually like just so dorky. It looked like an old equalizer. (laughs) And I realized like, oh man, I gotta I gotta make my car nice because I don't want to always ride around on this golf cart and i started just putting as much love into that rabbit pickup as i could and of course it's pre-internet at this time so um i was really getting every like vw magazine i was learning all the tech tips i would go to junkyards all the time and there's a for me there's such a big connection with working on a car and and where it is and kind of its status and how you connect with it and going to a junkyard was just so cool because I, mine had no option. So anything that I found was nicer. <laughs> so could, you know what I mean? Like anything was so cool. And there weren't a ton of those pickups out there, obviously, but I would look for parts off of a GTI and I'd, I'd go look for the old rabbit GTI. Um, I think that was the car that I really, um, I loved and I learned so much. I made a ton of mistakes. Like I dyed the interior black Ooh. and I don't know if y'all ever tried that, but this was a tan truck with a tan, <laughs> yeah. sun-bleached interior. Yeah, it looks so like it was, was designed
0: like, by Ed Gein, basically. It's just yeah, awful. It,
2: zero. It look, Poster board would have been more attractive for an interior covering <laughs> than what they used. And I, because it had been so baked in the sun, excuse me, I thought, well, this, anything's going to be better, right? I'll throw some, uh, I think I put cow print seat covers on it from Pep Boys. <laughs> Then I got this these cans of this vinyl dye, and I dyed the dash and the door panels and the carpet, and I, I'm not saying that I got high from those fumes, <laughs> but I'd have to believe that entire summer, I should not have driven that, because the fumes were so, so bad every single day, and of course no ac windows are down just sun baking and then i was like it's a thousand degrees in here now what am i doing <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i loved it you know it just was it was slow it didn't have a radio i borrowed my mom's boom box out of her workroom for the first probably three months and i was always like big into garage sailing i found a radio from an old uh, i think it was from a um pathfinder which was a pretty nice like factory radio back then I put that in and had two speakers my parents gave for my birthday. And I went to radioactive stereos up in Riverdale. And then I was like, this is the greatest car ever. I'm set.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm you got to like, have
0: tunes. I mean, if your car doesn't have tunes, you're always, you know, it's kind of sad. You're just driving around <laughs> listening to the wind.
2: 64 miles an hour, which is about the top speed of that thing, with no radio, is it's like driving a nap. it was awful and then I put a stereo in and I was like this is the greatest car ever made look at me who's the man now
0: you can still do a burnout in first gear in those if I recall correctly my first car was an 83 rabbit diesel so I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you it was four door baby blue with blue interior it was Oh, that's blue!
2: Something else, right?
0: (laughs) Lago blue, beautiful, beautiful. The ladies
2: had to have loved it, and they like even the funny thing when you go back and you look at like the door handles. Every time you would like just squeeze that little mini trigger there, I absolutely believe Nugent was a real thing. Like it's it's silly when you think about. Oh, like do you get excited about driving certain things nowadays? Everything's so nice that you're like, uh, what are kids going to feel like? Like, will kids even own a crappy car? Like, well, my three daughters own a car like we all did. I don't know. It's it's
0: a rite of passage, right? It's almost like it's guilted now. Like, oh, well, you can't. There's a a friend of mine who's a journalist, a car journalist. He's like, do you feel bad putting your kids in your 190E? And I go, no, but yeah, at the same time, now that you're guilting me about it. (laughs) I hadn't
2: thought about that. I thought they were riding in... Some German excellence and getting a real perspective for the world.
0: Yeah, it has an airbag from nineteen ninety three. It's fine.
2: Oh, <laughs> yours is it you don't have the two three, 16 valve, do you?
0: Uh no. I have, right. I have Not
2: yet. Not yet. I've got yet. The,
0: the two three or the two four that's got like four horsepower. It's pretty slow.
2: Oh. So, yeah, but for the record, the other one has like five, so it's all relative, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just feel better because you feel so sporty, shifting gears. Like in your mind, you're convinced if you get one of those that it totally is going to feel like those super rare Evo ones, but it doesn't. It's still just, yeah, I know. <laughs> it doesn't. They're still awesome, though.
0: It seems like all automotive enthusiasts get uh, the car guy label. Like if you like cars, you get car guy, but that always gets subdivided into like Volkswagen guy or Porsche guy or Camaro guy. What guy are you?
2: I think I'm. I think I'm the one that is somehow the broad one. Because I, I mean, if you look at the stuff that I've owned and continue to, um, I'm probably just like the weird car guy. I mean, that was one of those things from Top Gear that people gave me so much crap. And they're like, "Why would you pick this junky, slow, weird car, or whatever?" And I went, "Oh, because I wanted it. Like, I I actually chose that. No one gave me anything. I think because you know, like right now, I own." Um, my RWB. I built one of those crazy wide body uh, Porsche 911s, which all the Porsche guys hate because I pulled the.
0: We're well aware. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. You got a big Porsche contingent that's listening here for sure. Oh,
2: good. Okay. Well, here's what's really funny. I I thoroughly enjoyed the car. It it was just fine. It was an '86 Carrera. I traded my super rad Corolla A86 drift car for it. Plus a little cash to my friend Zach. I get the car. It's got 145,000 miles on it at the time. It was okay. It was definitely down on power. It wasn't. It, it wasn't a powerhouse of any you know quality. And keep in mind, it's just like your average 1986 911. It's not a turbo. There's nothing rare about it. It's just a car. They made and thousands
0: and thousands of them.
2: Yes. They now be careful, cause yeah, I don't want you to get guilted with me here from these Porsche people. But <laughs> I decided to turn into the car that I wanted to own, which was a, a little glimpse of all these different things, right? RWB is this Japanese artist Akira Nakaï who yep. takes this German car and he gives it this super cool Japanese styling. To me, at least, it's it's super wide body over fenders. Um, there's, two, there's two. There's two
0: things that people do with the RWB stuff. There's the guys that do the whole RWB kit, and they leave the stock motor that's leaking in the car. That's the <laughs> first guy. And then there's the second guy that actually, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of an LS swap and a Porsche, but at least it's fast. At least it goes like it looks. That's They have to go what they look like. If they look like they that's can drive upside down, they need to be able to go fast.
2: Well, to be honest, I really wanted, because I'm a huge Toyota guy and I've always been, I honestly wanted to put the 2JZ Super yeah. Swap in the back, but no one had done it. There was one cat who put a... Uh, a Honda K-Series back there and turboed it. Now, weirdly, I never heard anybody hate on that guy. <laughs> I think it's,
0: right? I think people look at the, well, first of all, you've got a target on your back because of who you are. So people are going <laughs> to, you're, you're kind of out there. But also the LS swap stuff is, um, it's so prevalent that it's, right. it just seems like, I think people well, see it as like the easy way.
2: What's hilarious is that back in the day, It was the 350 swap, people would put 350s and everything. And guess what? An LS is just a new 350. Like there's nothing (laughs) on that side. I absolutely get it. So just know that I'm there. What I can tell you is I wanted to build a hot rod. I wanted to build, I really did. I wanted to have a, a, a Toyota Supra, you know, inline six turbo back there, but no one had done it. And I knew it would take an extra year if we tried to do that. And I don't have that kind of money To just hose away on i i don't care about being the first i i want it to work like right you know what i mean because so, so many of these cars are so rad but it's not to me a car that you just stare at it's a car you go build and thrash and go drive like at least for me i don't i don't rub them with diapers i don't want to stare at them so I I looked at what it would cost to pull that engine out and put something else in there, and I I got the same money. I got nine grand, which was a lowball offer from these dude douchebag guys. But um, <laughs> I, I took this lowball offer, um, and and turned out I went to Summit Racing and and bought a 525 horse LS3 to pop in there. Uh, Bill Rader helped me build a G50. A gearbox that i built i found on ebay put a huge limit slip back there and i just want you to know i get why people might not like it but if you ride in this car with me you'll feel differently and you'll i smile. can say that you'll smile be- you absolutely will which is the whole purpose of, of owning one of these like it's not it it's right now here's what i can tell you we, we built it we tuned it kenwood rod shop uh, my friend Randy, that builds all my stuff with me, we built it at his place, and even he was like, "What the hell, man? Are you are you serious?" I was like, "Randy, just trust me, it's going to be awesome." He's like, "Okay, man. i I mean, I don't build Porsches anyway, so I, they're they're not going to hate me. They already they don't even know me, so they'll be fine." I was like, "Yeah, you don't worry about it." But um, it's we had it tuned to 492 at the rear wheels for a car that weighs probably 2,800 pounds, I just want you all to know, it was too much. And it was also, <laughs> it was like, it was so it was so powerful at that point and hard to drive that I was like, oh, God, I ruined the car. Right. Well, the more I looked at it, I knew that there was a tuning issue. We, we had the O2 sensors too close at first, so we kind of moved those a little bit. Went and had to retune these guys down in Columbus, did an awesome job. Now it's 463 to the rear wheels, the horsepower and torque numbers are way lower, and it is breathtaking. It is so fun to drive. It puts a huge smile on your face when you. It's got a bimodal exhaust that Richard Waites at MagnaFlow came and and did. Um, so I have like either Wake the Dead or <laughs> um, or Satan's Here. I have those two choices <laughs> of exhaust volume, and man, it's just it's the gnarliest thing i've ever owned but then i also like i'm building a 1jz powered toyota drift truck uh at my friend's shop core works from what truck what truck is it it's a 94 toyota pickup i bought from this couple that owns an antique store near us and i was just going to make it like i wanted a 94 toyota pickup in high school i I didn't have one i couldn't afford one i had my 81 rabbit and then at some point um it's probably oh four um I'm just imagining no, I, you with
0: that rabbit pickup going to school. You said you lived one block away from the nice neighborhood. Your truck yeah. must not fit in that well at that school parking lot, um, I'm going to guess. Once,
2: yeah, once we moved to Petrie City, it was funny in Georgia because it, it, people didn't – it was much more even, like it wasn't – the disparity wasn't quite so bad if we had stayed where we were in Birmingham. But over here, everybody was, like, pretty cool with it. And there were, there were a handful of my friends that had – Toyota mini trucks in high school, and that's that's definitely what I wanted. So in like '04, I had one that I bought. I traded a CRX that I got from a friend uh, uh, to a guy on Craigslist, and it was like had one of those phantom grills where it was all billet, you couldn't see the headlights. It was super dorky. <laughs> I did all this work. I painted it in my neighbor's garage, and it was this hot lime green color, and I called it Project Drift Truck because drifting was just starting to kind of make its way from Japan at that point and it wouldn't, it was. Would, it was hard to get it sideways in the rain, that thing, bless its heart, because I put these really heavy wheels on there, and you know, though, the 22RE is a great engine, but it's a long-term workhorse, it is not a powerhouse, Right. and uh, I, you can't drive it like, like it is, so this one is going to be super fun, but uh, you know, I think, I guess that's, that's like one side to the other, you know, I have all these weird things, and then Like, my newest project is a 1984 Toyota van wagon that I've been wrenching on a ton. So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I've escaped all those things. And somehow, the funniest part about building an RWB is I I either – um, excited or angered almost every group at one time.
0: <laughs> well, that's that mean, that's the good way to do it. If you're making everybody happy, you're not trying hard enough. You're not pushing hard enough, I guess, is the way I always totally. look at it. and
2: if you're building cars for other people, you're screwing up. Yeah,
0: like, that's exactly. We're going to get into that a little bit later good, on, too. Um, so I want to move into kind of your career a little bit, but I want to go way before uh, Top Gear and kind of figure out what were you doing in your life the first time you went camera on camera to talk about cars? What was, what was that?
2: Hmm. So my first job out of school, I went to, went to University of Georgia for marketing. First job right out of school was for country music television. I had a friend that had done an internship there the year before, so I ended up doing mobile marketing for them. So I spent a year going all over the country. And um, I was trying to figure out, I knew, like one of my friends remembers, apparently senior year at Georgia, I said, I'm going to go be on TV for cars. And I, I didn't remember throwing that gauntlet down, but apparently I did. <laughs> and so I was trying to figure out how am I going to get there. And for me, it's kind of funny because it was like um, I had I'd had done the thing for CMT. They were too small of a network to move up. And I listened to way too much like rap and pop <laughs> punk to have really made a, a career in country music. But uh, I started, I came back, I was flipping cars um, while we were waiting to get married. And then... Um everyone's like, all right, well, you're married, I guess you should get a job. And I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> I, I thought I was doing that. I was trying to figure out this TV thing and cars, and I was flipping a lot of cars at the time. So I ended up working for Hertz Rent-A-Car, and I did that for like six months. And I just was miserable. I was listening to a lot of Coheed and Cambria on my commute. Oh know yeah, that,
0: you were down, like, man. You were. I was just like
2: in this great. For for the record, still amazing music. But I think I just got to a place where I'm like, why are all you people even renting cars? You don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> that was when I knew I was like, I'm not where I'm supposed to be right now. So, <laughs> um, I I ended up quitting. I went to this radio station where um, my father in law knew somebody there, and I just started showing up every day asking this guy if I could watch him do a show. And he was like, sure. So I ended up two weeks later with a job there. I stayed there for like eight months. Somebody hired me away from there um, that I worked with, my friend Yvonne Monet, who is a a famous DJ in Atlanta. And she hired me to help open this new club with her and her friend. And I was going to do the marketing and I'd do karaoke. I'd wait tables if I needed to, whatever, to to make this tiny amount of money the radio station was paying me, which was definitely, definitely easy for them to do. but it was still I was still trying to figure out how do I get there. And I just like you guys, I was on Craigslist every single day for cars, but I was always on there checking for jobs in marketing and sales and trying to figure out what am I going to do with this degree that I work so hard for. And I found a jobs listing on Craigslist that said National Motorsports Network looking for um, on-site marketing rep who can also be an MC. And I was like, well, I host karaoke. I've gone to school. I have like an actual degree. I think I could do this, but I didn't know if it was drag race, NASCAR. I have no idea what they're going to cover. So I sent all my stuff and it turned out to be for speed channel. And this was Oh five. This was like January of 2005. Sent all my stuff in, drove up to Charlotte in my, I think I was in my 92 accord at the time coupe, uh, that was like lowered, And I'd done a bunch of stuff. It It had the cool thing about that car is it had the old school. I should warn y'all. I was kind of making (laughs) fun of other people. And the vinyl phase at that point was a little out of hand to me. So I decided to take the old school oval Nintendo logo and it was running across my hood. It was like a 40 inch, 45 inch long, logo that took up most of the hood and then the side said Nintendo. So I thought it was hilarious. And <laughs> it, it actually looked pretty good. Like drunk people loved it. But yeah I, um, bet. <laughs> I drove up there, had this interview and uh, and the whole time I was like, this is not gonna work. And
0: the interview just the gal- didn't go well. It didn't feel right. Or
2: I thought I thought I did great, but this one gal would not look up. And then turns out she was my boss for the next two years, and and kind of never looked up again either. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it turns out I got the job, and two weeks later I was in Daytona for the kickoff of the season for Speed Channel. And y'all, I don't know a thing about NASCAR at this point. I know that I grew up in Birmingham twice a year. 45 minutes outside of town, they have this big race. I knew the names, Earnhardt, Wallace, Petty. Um, I'd watched like, you know, the Indy 500. I'd seen a couple Daytona 500 races in my life. We didn't have cable. So like I, whatever was on, I'd I'd see it. And then I knew like the Toyota pro celebrity race. Those were the things I knew about racing. And here I am like looking around and went, Oh, what have I gotten myself into? But I absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with the cars, the people, the tracks, there's so much to, to love. And, uh, and so I told him, Hey, I'm here to be on TV and, um, and you got to give me a shot. And it took them a year to convince them. But the following February, a guy named Chris Long, uh, that we call muscles muscles gave me a shot and that sort of started, um, everything. So it was, it's pretty wild that it took a lot of like, I, when I showed up that first day thinking like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to be an MC. I don't know what that means i think they thought they hired a dj who was like a t-shirt tosser and not y'all I had this this sound rig that i had to like run the cables put my speakers out all this other stuff and i don't even know how to turn this sucker on i was like i i mean i know how to work a cd player y'all i dressed myself and drove myself here but i don't know what it is <laughs> but i didn't want to tell anyone so i called my friend yvonne monet that i used to work for and i was like all right this is what I see in front of me. How do I make this stuff work? And she walked me <laughs> through the whole thing. Here's how you run it. Here's how you cue this one up. You cue it, and, and so I, without telling anyone was like, cool, I'm not going to tell anybody. I don't know what I'm doing. Just kind of fake I it. I think that's a, it.
0: that's a good, good lesson for people to take note. I do that. I've done that more than once where someone's oh, asked yeah. me, can you do this? And I go, In my head, I'm like, I have no idea. On the outside, I'm like, yeah, I'll absolutely do that for you. And then you kind of just got to figure it out as you go. Fake it till you make it.
2: Completely. Well, the funny juxtaposition for me is if you jump ahead to uh, the end of 2014, Speed had turned into – I stayed with Speed for the next 10 years. They turned into FS1, right? They were always owned by Fox, but Fox decided we're going to get away from just motorsports and car stuff. We're going to become this all 24-hour sports channel. And I went to go meet with NBC because I, I definitely wanted to to be at a different spot. And here at this point of confidence, I've done top gear. It was still going on at the time. And they said, what can you do? And I said, I can go anywhere and talk to anyone about anything. Okay. Well, what can not you do? Yeah. I, can't, <laughs> I can't wear khakis. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Excuse me? Yeah, I can't wear khakis and I can't tuck my shirt in because that's going to look bad for both of us. And this guy looked at me and smiled, and he's like, all right, well, I think we can make this work, then." I was like, all right. So at some point, there's an ownership of of who we are, and when you get to a certain point, you can say, like, yeah, it turns out I'm great. I can literally talk to anyone about anything, but if I'm wearing khakis and my shirt's tucked in, I wouldn't watch me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Especially not if you turn and stand to the side.
2: <laughs> right. Now, if that's your thing, I totally get it, but it's just not my thing. I just don't think that – I think – uh, as we're all feeling right now, like, life's well, just too short to pretend to be something that you're not. So I'd rather just be the dude in jeans and a T-shirt and a plaid shirt if I got to dress up. So
0: That sounds to good to me. So you mentioned Top Gear, and the original Top Gear was really lightning in a bottle with Clarkson, May, and Hammond. And they had years and years and years and basically a decade or um, two decades or however many seasons there were to kind of work on their camaraderie and everything like that. Um, what kind of pressure was there for you going and auditioning to be on Top Gear USA?
2: Well, the the funny part for me is that I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a manager. I got a call one day at the house from someone named Celia, and she said she was from the Central Booking Agency, and she wanted to talk to me about a TV show. And I said, y'all got to come up with a better name if you're going to prank <laughs> call someone that prank calls other people. <laughs> and, then I, <laughs> and then I hung up on her. <laughs> and she called... She called her right back and said, hey, let's try this again. Don't hang up. I was paid to find you to have a conversation, and I need to know if you'd like to talk to a producer about a show. And I was like, I am so sorry. What a jackass. I prank all my friends. What had happened was a race fan who I don't know loaded something on to YouTube that I had done on Speed Channel illegally. And this producer, a guy named John Hessling, who ended up being our executive producer for the first four, for five years, um, was watching everybody that had been on TV for cars in the past 10 years. And he saw this clip of me with John Schneider from the Dukes of hazard. And I refused to call him John. I would only call him Bo. And I spent most of the interview talking to him about Daisy. And, uh, <laughs> this guy was like, you know, this dude might be funny. We should talk to him. So when Celia called, I don't even know that that's a, a thing. I don't even know that that's in the ethos or anything else. And so she ends up saying, well, um, I can't tell you what it's for, but like, you know, would you like to talk to this person? Of course. So this guy, John calls, he says, Hey, what do you know about Top Gear? I was like, Oh, I know that it's the greatest, you know, automotive show, um, in the world. I know there was a a failed pilot at NBC that, um, that y'all were going to do, but that's about, I, you know, as, as far as like what's current. And he's like, all right, fantastic. So, you know, everything, um, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to make another one. And, um, It's going to be on a cable network. I can't tell you which one, but we would love to have you come out and talk to some other people about it. And I was like, when you say come out, what does that mean exactly? And he's like, oh, to come out to L.A. And I was like, okay, well, this is weird. Um, It looks it feels like something crazy is happening here. So what I can tell you is that very early on in the process, they said to me, what's what's going to be the key um, to success? And I said, well, I know the key to failure for this show is if y'all are trying to find a Clarkson, a Hammond, and a May—it's going to be miserable, and I don't want to do anything with it because that—that's the last thing I want my name on. And they're like, "Okay, well, what's going to make it a success?" I was like, "If you take the format, which is three people in cars, and and you let that breathe and give time to adventure and everything else, it can totally work. You just got to make sure you have the right people." So, Tanner and I got paired up really early on. We were at like this—I guess it's an audition again. I didn't even know because I'd never been on one. Um, there were all these dudes there that I knew from TV. Exhibit was there. Uh, Bill <laughs> Goldberg was there. Um, I'm trying to think who else. RK I'm just DeGarrow. trying to
1: picture Exhibit now on Top Gear. Yeah, that would have been... In- yeah.
2: <laughs> wow. wow. You, you pair him with, like, Brian Unger was there, and I knew Brian from TV. There's all these cool people. And then there was a bunch of, like, um, how do I say this? There's a bunch of, like, really good-looking dudes who you <laughs> knew from TV, but you have no idea what their name is. There were a bunch of those guys there.
0: The guys <laughs> with the square jaws.
2: Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, at the time, I bet I was 245. Like, you know, I travel with NASCAR and I'm eating corn dogs every day. So I, what the hell do I know? But <laughs> um, it was a very funny time. And I was like, you guys know who that is? That's Tanner Faust. And everyone's like, no, nah, I don't. Is, is he on a show? I was like, no, he's a two-time drift champion. Like, he's a... Uh, you guys don't know that supercars expose nothing? No. Oh, wow. You guys, I thought y'all liked cars, huh? So <laughs> it was funny we got paired up, and then um, Adam was was a choice that history had, had always really liked, and so he said, oh, let's put you three together. So we had shot a bunch of different stuff together before we, A, got the show, or B, were announced as as hosts or we were doing or anything else. So I, I definitely think they were smart to take their time, but we also knew that if you go back and watch like the first season – there was definitely a change that happened by the end and it was that a we were comfortable with each other and that takes time to grow but also the audience was comfortable and realized oh they're not trying to take this other thing from me like that was
3: mm, right
2: it would there was a real stigma that i wish we could have had social media to talk about it back then the hardest part to doing that show was everybody believing that no, Top Gear is special to me and me and my friends alone. Nobody else knows. It's our secret. This is like a band that hasn't been signed. And the downside to that was those idiots didn't realize that it was not a secret and everyone loved the show. And at the time it was the most viewed television show in the world. So it wasn't like the hate we got so early on was like, you're trying to be something else. Like, no, no, no. We're just, those people wanted to do an American version of the show. And we were three idiots that were lucky enough to get picked. We're not we're not taking that from you. It's totally cool. And so it took people a while. If they watched and gave it a shot, then they were like, Oh, you guys aren't trying to be them. This is totally cool then. Oh, great. Like it just was a. it was a funny transition to do that. And like the studio was hilarious because if you were at the studio, tons of fun. And then when you watch it, we all look like we're asleep and it looks terrible. <laughs> but that's one of those things they didn't realize until season two. And then by the end of two, we had changed enough to make it inside and outside. And then they dropped it because we had to do a summer series once where we cranked out like six shows super fast. And uh, they said, look, we don't have time to do the studio. Let's just see how it does without it. And for both shows, that was always the time when people would change the channel the most. And they found that, like, oh, we get an extra eight minutes to tell a story which, you know, in the UK, they didn't have commercials, so we're already at 44 minutes, and if you do these dumbass recaps, which is, y'all would probably agree, it's the worst part about television in this country is, well, everyone watching this must be a total idiot, so let's remind (laughs) them what just happened, which is not the case, like, I mean, if you've been watching Tiger King or anything else on Netflix, there's a reason that they don't have mid-episode recaps. It's because I'm still watching. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't go anywhere, you weirdo. So anyway, but I think I think those changes over time um, really made a big deal. And then, like, the bummer is that we didn't get canceled. But you can't like, there's no press release for hey, two So these two people got in a fight, and it doesn't have anything to do with you guys. But uh, people are going to think y'all are out of a job. So enjoy. <laughs> what do you mean? What? So you know, like a lot of times if a show doesn't perform well, you would get canceled. Meaning, um, this is like this is the it's like the ride at Six Flags. Right? You must be this tall to ride. So that's how right. typically shows are measured. That's not what happened with ours. So if you look at the timeline of the UK show and when it imploded over yep. cold cuts nice yeah night. that's
0: okay you're talking yeah, about okay. the fight with Clarkson and the producer yeah. I got you. I got yeah. you. I got you.
2: I don't know if fight is the term I would use conflict I would say assault like if you're gonna be <laughs> that big of an idiot <laughs> just call it what well, I mean if somebody walked up to you and punched you in the face I wouldn't call that a fight
0: no no yeah I guess so, I probably I'm
2: old school I'm old school like that um So that implodes in BBC proper panics because that was such a big moneymaker. Because the way BBC works is they make a show and then they sell it around the world. And all these different places where they put it is how they make their money back for the original production, how they hopefully make a big profit. So our show is a co-production with history and BBC. And so when they came together, one says, all right, I'll put in half the money And I own it here, Canada and Latin America. Great. BBC says we'll put in our half and we'll own it everywhere else in the world. Fantastic. So now the kicker is we, of course, only get paid from one place, which is here, which is fine. But um, that means like all the reruns, all those other things, those guys didn't get paid from it either. But when we started, our show was benefiting the UK guys. So they always they truly always wanted our show to succeed and uh hammond was somebody that was always super supportive and we did a couple things um with him and tanner had done some um stunt driving for them when they came over and did a bunch of their stuff so there was always like it because we had the same producers we had a bunch of the same camera people like it was it it was one big family until that so bbc scrambles and they decide overnight top gear is going to be seven people and we're like but that's not that's not Top Gear. You're gonna ruin the show. And they're like, we'll we'll show you. We're gonna the new show's gonna be seven people. And we're like, don't do it. You're gonna ruin that show. Why don't you just put ours on there? Just start airing ours in the same time slot. You've got because we aired the first season there, and then I don't think we aired regularly there um, unless you're watching it online. Right? They
0: made the mistake that you didn't want to make. Mm-hmm. when you started, when you said, what's it going to take to do this? You yeah. said, I don't want to do this. That's exactly what they did over there. They tried to replace them with like personalities and everything else.
2: A hundred percent, but they did it plus four. And that's, you don't have enough time to invest in people. And, and how could the three of us watching connect with seven people in that short of amount of time? Like you don't, you can't grow that. Mm-hmm. And Everybody knew that from the onset. Plus, it's like it, it, you don't have to reinvent the wheel overnight. Like, you can take five minutes here and come up with a game plan, but that's not what they did. So we're in our last season, um, what ended up being our last season, we were in season six. Um, I had done Lost in Transmission as like a little spin spinoff, um, which was...
0: That was a fun show.
2: Oh, gosh, it was so much fun. And it was the first time I ever got to work from home, which was amazing. (laughs) Because it was like overhauling for normal people, right? Like, (laughs) God, I love Chip Foose and what they do. But we tried to do that on a much lower scale for people, and and it worked. And it was a really – it was incredibly special to get to do that for other people, and that's something I always loved. And hopefully we get to do something like that again. But so we did that. BBC produced it because I was under contract with them. And then they come back, and now keep in mind, the, the UK show is starting to air, and it's awful. And they will not check up with this notion of we're going to have seven people. So unbeknownst to us, they started asking other people. They were talking to a bunch of NASCAR drivers who were calling me. They were like, dude, I heard it might be your coworker." And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, so we, the three of us, said, hey, I just want you all to know, if you do this, you're going to ruin the show, and we're not going to be a part of it. History said to them, hey, if y'all try to do that, you're going to ruin the show and we're not going to be a part of it. And BBC had too much pride to say, I'm sorry, we're wrong. And they're like, we'll show you guys. So they tried to shop the show to other networks. They all wanted the three of us. And they were like, well, no, they're, they're with history, even though we, we were tied to history and we were tied to BBC, so we couldn't really do at that point, we were under contract for another two years, I guess.
0: What a mess. So, what a way to just destroy something amazing.
2: Yeah, completely. And they had... They so blew the kicker is, mm-hmm. they tried to shop it somewhere else. It didn't work. Then they go back to history and tell them they want a ton more money, not for us, but it's because they lost so much money doing the UK show, hmm. that then history's like, no, we'll pay you the same. Like, we're not going to... Like, what's different about it? And they're like, no, but you don't understand. This shows it's different. It's more complex. They're like, no, we'll pay you the same. And so again... BBC just got lost and had too much pride to say I'm sorry. And so that's when they made the next version, which was Top Gear. I think they called that one U.S. No, Top Gear USA, uh, with my buddy Antron Brown and Wookiee and Bill Fickner. Love those guys. They did a great job. Definitely they were not given enough time to – to build and, and succeed and that's not their fault and then BBC put on BBC America which nobody watches unless they're it's
0: like breaking them. up with your girlfriend the next girl you expect her to be this or she, your girlfriend dumps oh. you you start dating the next girl you expect it to be the same thing that you fell in love with and it's not there so then you move on to the next girl and the next girl and the next girl and it's never the same and it's just 100%. this, this sad And now
2: thing. here's what I can tell you the joy what I'm excited for now is they're trying to make a new one or they're currently making a new one uh, with my friend Dax Shepard and I love Dax and uh He's definitely one of the biggest car guys I've ever met. Last time I got to um, have dinner with him at his place in December, I was out there, end of November. I hope that show does great. Um, So many of our friends are still working on it, but it's weird to be a part of something that people don't understand. Like, oh, we just assumed you guys got fired because the show, like, no one was watching and it wasn't going well. Meanwhile, like, the highest ratings we ever had was the whole... Last well three seasons we you know consistently had two million viewers uh, a week which now anyone would just give anything to have for uh, for viewers on a on a weeknight so it's a weird thing man but but coming out of there with two of the closest people I've ever you know been friends to in my life and the the experiences we had were just unbelievable.
0: So I wanted to ask you about some stories surrounding your time at Top Gear. And, and uh, despite most people's favorite being season five, where you guys went overlanding, my favorite is actually the next one, which was the 80s episode. I, I, I just I knew the cars, everything. I think you guys were at your best. But rather than try and watch a bunch of episodes to jog my memory, I decided to send an email and talk to Adam to see if he had any stories that he would want you to tell. And sure. uh, first of all, he said, uh, you can tell Rudd I love him, but he will deny that I said it. So none of this can actually be verified to come from him, which is, which is true. So he says, uh, he gave me a couple quotes and he said that these would kind of pique your memory. He says, quote, you know, I'm going to get sick. Is there, uh, what, what story was, what do we got there?
2: The, the 80s show was amazing. I've also, that's the one that he had the grand national, right? Yes. Which there's zero percent chance
0: that thing cost five grand. None.
2: <laughs> it was. I. I bet it was seventy five hundred bucks. Had a huge rust hole in the frame and in the body, which of course didn't make the show. I knew it was going to blow up the moment I saw it. Do you know why? Why? What could that car have on it that would signal to someone like me that it was not going to last?
0: Slick tires.
2: Methanol kit.
3: Oh, oh. <laughs>
2: the moment, y'all, the moment I saw the meth injection kit, I was like, do you guys know how to use this? Did they give you any instructions? Is there any like, you know, what were those little bottles of, um, I can't remember the people used to get it, it, that they would cheat with those. And it was like a windshield, um, thing for the winter, it was some little additive. I can't remember the name. It was like a crazy de-icer that was just loaded. Oh
0: yeah. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name It's it, like hot I, or, or heat or something.
2: Yeah oh that's what yeah it was like that h-e-e-t or something yeah, so
3: mm-hmm.
2: it I, it had that kit and i was like you guys we be, y'all better hurry up because this car is going to blow up turned off and they're <laughs> like, what are you talking about <laughs> so anyway that car was great um i've never seen a car blow oil out the tailpipe like you were just <laughs> tipping over <laughs> i container. not it's it was unbelievable um but we went to Mexico, and uh, and I was a little nervous at the time. There was definitely a lot going on, <laughs> excuse me, with uh, some pretty active cartel stuff. So I was a little nervous going down there as like a C or a D level cable celebrity. And people thinking that the cameras were worth way more, Would it like just
0: way more than your life.
2: <laughs> yes. I was like, you can take the cameras just leave the camera people. They're all lovely. <laughs> so we go down there and, uh, and then of course I've never been to Mexico at this point. It's lovely. The people are great. But the whole time I was like, I can't drink the water. I don't drink beer. I can't have ice. And so, you know, I'm going to get sick just became my battle cry. And they'd be like, Hey, do you want to go with us to, uh, we're gonna go down here eat some street talk. I was like, you know I'm gonna get sick. I can't <laughs> I can't do that. And I turned out didn't get sick at all. It was fine, but it was I was nervous the whole time. Lovely people.
0: The other one is the clock is running with me and those hands.
2: Oh gosh. Do y'all remember? Um, so a lot of the shows I not I don't want to say a lot. I'm gonna say a third of the shows we did were these kind of fundamental starting points that the UK show had. had. So one time they built like a snow vehicle Well, in Atlanta, we had what we called snow apocalypse, which is where we didn't think it was going to snow. It's not going to snow. Holy crap, it's going to snow. Everyone leave right now. And we flooded our interstates with the entire working force of Atlanta and all the <laughs> schools and everything else. and then it started snowing. And it snowed on these people in traffic, and it was only like an inch, maybe three-quarters of an inch in most places, but it was crippling because no one was moving. And so we decided to create this way to make sure that no one ever got stuck. So we built a, uh, a school bus. We took a short bus. We lifted it. Did a solid, solid axle swap up front. Put it on 44 inch boggers and put a <laughs> snowplow on the front. And we went up to this. Wasn't this there state. a
1: flamethrower too?
2: Yes, there was I a flamethrower on the roof. It was glorious. We went up to Maine. Um, it, right out by the Canadian border, and I wish I could remember the town. But there was like an air force base up there, and um, and and we did all these crazy things. Well, they had a whole bunch of mannequins that we were using to transport in the van, and uh, in the bus. And Tanner and I at lunch one day started playing with these mannequin hands, and Adam thought it was funny. We we're like we we'd stick them in our coats, and then we'd go into like an office at this base, and we keep trying to pick up the phone. <laughs> Physically with these mannequin hands, which is really, really childish and stupid. But then we'd we'd be sitting there, and I'd like run one of these hands through Adam's hair. <laughs> and Tanner and I think it's hilarious. And I have got the only like loose pair, and he's like, oh, it's real funny. That's just keep it up, keep it up. We keep doing it, and then I'd like poke him in the ear with it. And and at some point, he said, "Clock's running with me in those hands." And we we're like, oh. <laughs> oh, he doesn't really mean it. He's not that mad. I touched his shoulder, so, and like each time he's like, "Hey, don't seriously, don't touch him." I was like, "Cool, man, cool, just relax." And I put the <laughs> mannequin hand on his shoulder, and <laughs> just we could not stop laughing. We think it's hilarious. Uh, Tanner's driving. Adam and I are on the first seat on the passenger side back, um, and Adam is inside the seat, so he's closer to the window. I touch him that last time, and he stands up, and it is like a roid rage. He, his eyes turned red like laser beams. He stands up in this like Hulk-like move, and he goes to the door. We're going down the highway, right? We're probably, and it was slow. We're probably doing 45 or 50 in this thing. And he doesn't open the door. He pushes the door, which, you know, those school bus doors have that funky little latch sort of system the swing thing he bends bends the metal bar he's pushing so hard to shove these hands out and then he sits back down without saying a word and we are in tears we're laughing
0: so hard (laughs) there's got to be some weird repressed memory there
2: yeah i mean there's something going on that's what we said we're like man call a therapist this is so real he's like i told you I told you clock was running with me in those hands. <laughs> another great battle cry of ours.
0: So looking back, what was your favorite experience filming top gear?
2: Oh, there were so many good ones. Honestly, You got to I mean, pick we... one.
0: You got to, if you have to forget all the rest and remember one on a desert Island by yourself, what's that one memory you got to take?
2: I, I have to say, I mean, you mentioned Alaska. Those were great. Um, when we went to Iceland, it was one of the coolest, um, things I've just ever seen, you know. The like number one, being into history, the fact that someone bamboozled the world and named Iceland <laughs> Greenland and, and Greenland, Greenland Iceland, Iceland right? <laughs> like, what an impressive historic hustle that was. Yeah, that's
0: that's uh, that's pretty good shit.
2: It really is. It just when you and go and they there, haven't changed it either, Rutledge. Don't no. you think at some point they would have been like, "All right, guys."
1: Jigsaw, guys, right?
2: It was a, look, they were fooling. They didn't want you to go there. Let's name that one the correct thing. We'll call it... No, no, no. Maybe they got it, lost. Maybe. It could have been that. I mean, I watched they had a the lot... the map upside oh. down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe the map was upside down. Like, maybe it was the Masons. Who knows? It was something crazy. But everywhere we went at Iceland was just so... It was so beautiful and so dangerous at the same time. You know, for us to be on top of that glacier which was on top of the volcano when we were there that volcano had gone off every 50 years like clockwork except it's 20 years overdue and while (laughs) you know in like the past five years that that one next door they call it e15 because it starts with e it's 15 consonants long um it had gone off right and messed up all sorts of european travel well they kept saying this one, we have to have a plan of exit because if this thing starts to go off, it's going to melt that glacier and cause a flash flood beneath it. So you can't go this way or that way. Um, And, but don't worry, you'll have, um, you'll have three hours to get down if it starts to go off, but it took us two days to get up there. What am I going to do with three hours? Right. Nothing. (laughs) Not a thing. Get a good seat. I have no idea what you do at that point, but It was so cool to see the Northern Lights in person. Um, If you ever watch that show, there's this really cool um, time-lapse shot that our friend Mikey was doing. I didn't know Mikey was out there, and that's why you can see this little figure go out because he's so far back. I walked out, and I stood in this shot, didn't realize I was in a shot, for like 25 minutes. And as it plays out, it's probably eight seconds in the show. But I stood out there until I physically hurt so much that I had to go back inside because I just never seen anything like that. And the way that the stars and the sky just move in front of you is it's it's an amazing feeling. I've never seen anything like that. So um, I got to put Iceland at the the top of the list.
0: So you once said I'd rather own five three thousand dollar cars than one fifteen thousand dollar car. Why is that? (laughs)
2: I think that variety of of life and and having something fun and different to drive is is a big part of me and who I am. You know, I I uh, my Toyota bandwagon that I've been working on this eighty four puts the biggest smile on my face, and I bought it off of. Now it's weird; people don't use Craigslist. I got it off the Facebook Marketplace in Charlotte. I flew up there for a show and drove it home. Um, I, so I think that notion of having you know, five crappy cars is way cooler than having one okay car. I don't know why. I just I've you, always loved. Has that it. gotten
0: ruined a little bit though? With the '80s and '90s cars, are all the cool ones are fifteen thousand dollars now?
2: They totally are. I don't want to. I don't want to disparage anybody, but Cash for Clunkers took the cars that we love mm, down so hard, and we all look for like, oh, why is it so much fun? Honestly, that's why. Because all the ones that were still decent got squashed, and whatever. Seriously, whatever jackass. Said, okay, we'll give them a bunch of money for them when they trade them in, but then when they go to a junkyard, let's pour this stuff in the engine so it grenades. Like mm-hmm. that guy, yeah. that wasn't cool. <laughs>
0: Fuck that guy, seriously.
2: Right? Because think of how many things, like, uh, we could be driving a Grand Wagoneer right now with some massive 454 that you pulled out of something. No, we can't because they've all been grenaded and then crushed. Like, oh, it just hurts so much stuff. But yeah, that's. That, and that's Jake the power and I always of, talk
0: about the car the, the most. Uh, environmentally friendly car you can buy is the one you is own. the car you already so that it was such a waste of resources and a waste to force people to buy all new stuff, right. you know that had to be newly manufactured, in lieu of destroying all these things that already existed and already were there. That's
2: weird, isn't it? Like just and, and it's one of those things you wonder. Like when we, I remember as a kid when we'd read about certain things that happened in history and whether it was like the New Deal or you know interstates, whatever. Like, are kids going to read about cash for clunkers? Or, like, I don't know how far out from that we have to get from, like, okay, so there was this one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, man. Well, we'll sell you a new car. What are you going to do with the old one? Here's the thing. It's going to sound weird. We're going to blow it up first, <laughs> then we're going to crush it.
0: How um, wasteful. Uh, it's sad.
2: Oh, Okay. That's weird, but cool, man. I guess, yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I want to do a couple of listener questions, and then I have one more question for you at the end. Great. Um, so, Low Life on Instagram has uh, with a lot of numbers for vowels, and his name says, "How was it competing in the one lap of America, especially in that sweet Toyota Sienna?"
2: You know, what was crazy is uh, one lap of America. To me, it's kind of like I, I've I said the this quote. Uh, someone quoted me on on the show Roadkill that my friend. Uh, Uh, Mike Finnegan and David Freiberger do, they had driven across the country on cheater slicks in Mike's 55. And I was like, this is the difference between roadkill and top gear. Like top gear, like we think about doing stuff that's (laughs) like kind of dumb and sometimes pretty dangerous, but this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Like you can't, (laughs) y'all have mortgages and kids. You got to draw the line somewhere. That's a little bit like one lap of America to me. It is the most hardcore week i've ever spent in my life around something that i love so much like the people that do it are so cool they have such dedication but if y'all don't know you get up in the morning uh and you go to a racetrack you depending on how fast your car is is how you're kind of ranked so we were uh toyota racing had decided let's let's race out a sienna uh but still like a factory engine block and transmission they put i think they put a limited slip in there they had, um, Were you kind of uh, like,
0: oh, a Sienna could have been? No,
2: because I knew like I, for, I have three daughters and we drive a Sienna, so I was yeah. like, "Cool, okay, I'm okay go one." Okay. Like I hear you, and yes, but still, I drive one. Like, like I think I'm a race car driver anyway. So <laughs> it was. They had two. One was a bone stock Sienna SE, which is what we have, and it just you for to run this, and because Tire Rack sponsors it, you have to buy a set of tires. From Tire Rack, and it's the same set of tires all week long. So you have to keep that in mind. The other one was an SE that they had stripped out. They ran coilovers on it. They took all the interior out, caged it, and then they put one of the third row seats back in. What does a the cage look like
0: stuff. in one of those?
2: Massive. <laughs> it was, it was big. Yeah, it was it's really a big. It was gym? really do- yeah. You kind of like you had to be a little bit careful to get back there to the third row. Um, they had Craig Stanton, who was a, a badass former uh, Porsche racer, and Lexus and so many other things. Him, and then Sean Morris was a crew chief. And I was listed as the crew on that one, right, the the black one. Then the white one was the bone stock one. They had a bunch of engineers and other people. So in the morning, I never raced the black one. I would drive that at night to help, and then I would race the white one in the morning. So you run two laps, you have lunch, and then you run two more laps. But we were listed as, like, numbers, let's say – 65 and 68 well the gtr that was number one left three hours before we finished so at the end of every day you've got to drive to wherever the next racetrack is and you're going to stay at a hotel somewhere around there but like the longest run we had one night was 12 hours so we finished and then we had a 12 hour drive to the next place and you do this for six days in a row it's the most Intense, grueling thing ever. And back in the day, they would run it like they'd run it mid Ohio, and the next day you'd have to race in Phoenix. (laughs) Jeez. So it really, like, to them, it very much is like the legal kind of a cannonball run sort of a thing. I remember one night, it was so late, and I was not going to slow down. There's no one else on the road, but I told the dude riding shotgun, Sean, I was like, hey, just get my license out of there. And he's like, do you need it? I was like, no, no, I just, when we get pulled over, I just want to make it easy on them. <laughs> I was I'm not, I'm not slowing down. Like, we've got to go. And So it just is a, it's just a, it's an incredibly intense uh, week for people that are just bonded together. Would
0: you do it again? Um,
2: by that, I might. I, I definitely. Tanner and I have talked about doing it together. I I definitely think having a car that is uh, is way faster so that you would be able to just based strictly on your start time is hugely important.
1: So, what car um, would you pick?
2: Right now, I I honestly I'd run a new Supra um, gladly. Um,
1: the z4 I you don't
2: know yes yeah <laughs> you're hilarious um and I, i'll be honest i've taken on so many people about that and i'm like you guys know like what's the difference between a brz and an frs yeah exactly. i don't care just some stitching and some c color cool it's a rad car and if more people will get together and make us rad cars like do we really care how it started That's i don't a, I
0: had a huge rant about this i feel like journalists ruined that car before it ever got here. Yeah. I feel like everybody totally agree. They destroyed it. And so that car stood no chance. That's like saying you, uh, you, you, you're telling your parents, you've got a new girlfriend and everybody's talking crap on her before she ever even gets there. And then everybody already hates her by the time you bring her over for Christmas hundred you know,
2: percent. And it, people do that all the time. And we still, like, it takes them to go to therapy to realize, like, oh, that was our fault. But journalists <laughs> aren't going to do that. You know journalists aren't going to figure that out. What I love is that Toyota made a car that they knew, like, and and this is one of those things I wish they, someone could have reminded journalists, because as you know, I am not a journalist. Someone called me one the other day on Twitter, because I was like, I, I basically just asked them to not make fun of me, and I pointed out that they drove a BMW and that people think that if you drive a BMW, you're a jerk. And I testified that by saying I had an E46 M3 for three months, and people all looked at me like I was a D-bag. And the guy was like, you don't have to call me names. I was like, whoa, bro. He He said, you're a journalist. You should know better. I was like, the last thing on earth I am is a journalist. That is not fair to journalists. Don't do that. So, the tough thing is nobody reminded a bunch of those journalists that hated on it. It's like, you guys know they don't actually have to, A, make this car. Mm-hmm. B, they're not going to make a ton of them. They're definitely not going to make a ton of money on them. They're making it because we want one.
0: And they're certainly not going to make it if you keep yeah, talking, talking it down. <laughs> like, why are they going to take the risk next time if, you're, right. if you've already taken a huge dump on the thing before it even hits the road?
2: 100%. Now, here's the funny thing. Guess what I would never buy? tell me a, B, a bmw z4 why is that But guess because it's not a car that appeals to me in any way
0: i'm with you stigma,
2: I'm, stigma more than anything else like i'm sure. just not in i'm just not in that market but if you told me that the same people that engineered that helped engineer a car that then toyota took and gave it to their engineers and they made tweaks and they're going to continue to improve on and they're going to call it a supra all day i will buy that car and and so i i want one of the twenty twenty ones that's going to have the cool um uh, the cool blue color i really dig so i'm i may order one of those but th- taking one of those on one lap would be unbelievably cool the highlight for me was it was pouring down rain we're at a track that's outside of boston and i hate that i can never remember the name of this track but <laughs> it looks like it's in a quarry it has all these amazing elevation changes and we're there and it is pouring down rain and it is my session. And there's a bunch of guys. There was a 918 that was out there at the time and a brand new, uh, GT three RS. And I see the RS in front of me and it's pouring down rain. And this poor guy is driving. Like he's got a house out there. Cause he does like, as expensive as that thing was. And y'all know the markup of those at first was yep. insane. And so every wall I,
0: looks like the wall of Babylon. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah.
2: he, he had to have been freaking out. And I, w- I kept watching him. I was like, I'm, I'm pushing it in the rain. We had had all the traction control off, but you could still you could get those vans pretty squarely on a wide open track and pouring down rain. <laughs> and I passed him on the front stretch, and the entire place was cheering. <laughs> because, you know, for me and my ego, I was like, I'm the greatest race car driver alive. <laughs> That's what I just did. And this guy's like, oh, that van's kicking up so much water. I hope I can see the turn. Like right. totally different, <laughs> but we were on the track at the same time. And that to me is what honestly makes one lap so cool. Those people that that do it, and and you know, Brock Yates and the family, everybody. It it is an amazing event. It just is. People should know it's way more hardcore than you think.
0: So, Chad Sci asks, is your next build going to be something electric, Tesla Swap, <laughs> or something similar? Are you ready for that? That type of stuff.
2: Uh- No, to be honest, like, I think it's fine. I've seen, um, I saw that electric RWB that was at SEMA two years ago. I thought that was really neat. Um, It doesn't, how do you say this? It's cool, and I know that stuff is coming. It just doesn't interest me in the same sort of ways that hot rodding, and I'm one of those people that I think the term hot rod is not used appropriately near enough. Like, I don't think it just applies to an old Model A. I think the stuff that we all do is is considered hot rotting um on so many things. And so I just don't have the same level of interest um yet to to do that with uh with a car. I'm one of those people also that, like I know Tesla's made some cool stuff. I just don't think they're a car company and I don't think they will make cars that long. So um that dude's obviously very bright and I think all of the you know the house Uh, focused stuff and what he's doing on business is way more um relevant and important to what they're doing but um, i do think it's interesting to see how they have kind of thrown the automotive industry so many curveballs and i think that probably helps everybody in the long run
0: yeah imagine being in the boardrooms of some of these big three right now you know just what are we going to do what are we going to do that's, I mean, I think it, that's the biggest thing Tesla's done is, is pushed, really shaking up the market. pushed uh, how cars are designed, how they're prototyped, and everything else. You know, with three D totally. printing, everything is just moving so much faster now that they that now that they've brought an entire market to bear. Um, so, before we go, what makes a co- a car cool to Rutledge Wood? What what makes for a cool car?
2: What makes for a cool car? That's a, that's a really great question. I, I guess it's how it speaks to you. Um, you know, a minivan is cool to me because it means I can get my family somewhere, um, safely, but I definitely like, I want to tint the windows. I want to throw some cool wheels on there. You know, I run continental tires on everything I have. Like I want to make stuff my own. So for me, the reason like this 84 Toyota van wagon, I realize that they are funky and weird to a lot of people. You know, mid-engine, it's hard to get to the engine because it's under the seats. Like, they're funky, but I just always thought they were so cool-looking. They were way ahead of their time, and that was cool to me. And so I think for me, part of it is how are you going to use it, how do you want to use it, and then how do you make it your own? Because I kind of – I think if you look at all my cars, I don't think I've left anything untouched, and I'm I'm maybe ever – I don't think I've ever had a totally stock card that haven't modified in some sort of way. And I think that's what kind of makes it so great is we can all kind of personalize it. Uh, I'm about to build um, – I've had a couple wild ideas for SEMA. I'm not so sure if any of them are going to happen for this year, but um, I'm going to build a Corolla hatchback into like a sort of a, a Safari-esque kind of a rally – fun car because i don't i don't really want to buy a rav4 just yet the new ones are way cool and if y'all if you guys get a chance i would go drive them and join them but i found a corolla hatchback sitting behind toyota in texas that had been a former SEMA car and it may have been an offer and i'm going to get that thing sideways on some dirt roads and just go have a great time with it because to me i guess it's just what makes a car cool is how do you want to use it and, and is it cool to you but I'm definitely not, as you all know, I'm not a person that looks to other people for approval with the stuff that I want to do with cars because I don't think that's what it's about. I think we're all so unique in how our experiences with a car, what do we want to do with it, where are we going to go with it. All of those things are so personalized that you got to make sure that you do the stuff that, that you want to do. And I think we're really lucky to have the kind of aftermarket support we do for so many vehicles under the sun, old and new. Uh, to to make things exactly the way you want them. So I think the stuff that makes them cool to me is is probably the things that just make it cool to just me. I don't know. Like you know, I drive a purple supercharged Tundra every day, and it puts the biggest smile on my face.
0: And I think that's what it's it comes down to is if it's putting a smile on your face and it matters to you, that might be it. <laughs>
2: You know what? That's a that's a I'm glad you're one of us is a professional. That's a perfect way <laughs> to, <laughs> to sum up those ramblings, right? Like it's a little it's uh it's something for everybody, but if it puts a smile on your face then that's cool.
0: Hey man, I really appreciate you coming on and spending time with me today. It's uh it's 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 been good having you here. Yeah, thank you. guys you, are
2: awesome. Thanks. And I realize it took me this travel stuff uh takes me so long to to finally do this and I appreciate you staying on top of that. And uh, let me I hope I didn't ramble. Uh, no, it's all good. That's what, this,
0: that's what this format's for. You know, it's a long <laughs> format. And um, most of us are all stuck doing, you know, nothing in our house anyway. So I figured it'd be a good time.
2: It's awesome. Thank you guys for having me. I sure appreciate it. Take care of yourself. All right. Y'all too. See you soon. Yeah. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: That was great. I just I, I love Rutledge. I love watching him on TV. I love uh, I love that he's just a down
1: to earth, normal guy too.
0: It is, you know some some of the the personalities get a little. Um, big i guess you could say <laughs> i guess you could say their heads get a little big and, yeah no and for it, sure no matter what he's doing he's always him and i think he kind of reflected that a little bit on you know in terms of you know building cars for yourself it kind of all exactly kind of, kind of goes together um i want to remind everybody to hop on to patreon.com overcrest please right. support the show uh, we'd really really appreciate it keeps the lights on here leave us a five-star review on itunes uh, and spread the word don't keep this podcast to yourself that is selfish you should uh, share. just because
1: you're in quarantine doesn't mean you can't spread the word well hey we can spread something <laughs> <laughs> all right guys
0: we will see you next week
1: take care